0: Presenting this month's special series, Focus on Children's Health, on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals.
1: Various types of psychotherapy and medications are used to treat adolescent depression. But how can family based interventions be particularly beneficial for this patient population? I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard. Our guest is Dr. Guy Diamond, Director of the Center for Family Intervention Science at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and associate professor of psychology at Penn Medicine. Thank you, Dr. Diamond, for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: To begin with, how significant is the problem of adolescent depression and suicide in the United States?
0: The actual epidemiology data suggests about between 4 to 6% of teens experience depression sometime in their life. A lot more kids than that have sort of subclinical depression, where they're certainly bothered by these kinds of symptoms, though it may not rise to the level of clinical diagnosis. Certainly, many kids are being treated for depression, you know, so it's a big public health problem, and trying to figure out the best treatments for it, you know, is a critical agenda at the NIH and, you know, in the field in general.
1: Are there any trends that you're seeing? Is this becoming more of a problem, and has it plateaued?
0: You know, it's always hard to say. There's more awareness about adolescent depression. You know, back in the, even in the 60s, 70s, 80s, dominated by actually analytic models where people didn't think kids got depressed. You know, there was not a lot of investigation of that. So in the last 20 years, there's been more attention and consequently more identification rates. You know, It's hard to know whether there's more awareness and more sensitivity or whether there's actually more occurrences of it. It's certainly on the rise. It's certainly one of the top three disorders in the mental health field across the lifespan. It has a huge financial impact. On the system, there's lots of money that goes into uh, hospitalizations around it, and treatment for it, and medication for it, and uh, so it's a really it's a serious, major public health problem and a costly
1: healthcare issue. Then, would you say that our various treatment modalities have not met the needs of treating adolescents for depression and suicidal ideation? Yeah.
0: Well, it's a complicated response death by suicide is the third leading cause of death for adolescents. About 2,000 kids a year die by suicide. Suicide attempts are much more common. 2007 statistics suggested 500,000 emergency room visits were for adolescent suicide, and other data suggests about 2 million admissions to inpatient units for adolescent suicide. So even if suicide is not a completed suicide, but it's an attempt or serious ideation, it's very prevalent and common and costly and also a big public health problem.
1: I know you've recently written about the efficiency of attachment-based family therapy for adolescent depression and suicide. Could you explain what ABFT is and what are the goals?
0: Attachment-based family therapy is an approach to treating adolescents with depression, anxiety, trauma, suicide, sort of the internalizing disorders as opposed to externalizing where we have ADHD and conduct disorder and... Even substance use goes in that category. It's a family-based approach. It takes the approach to treatment that for adolescents, a lot of what is causing depression is our environmental or circumstantial problems. It takes a little less of a view that depression is endogenous and generated from internal sources, but more a diathesis stress model. Kids have a vulnerability to depression, and then environmental stress activates that in them. If you treat the depression with medication, it might help manage the internal problems, but it may not address the stressors that were causing or perpetuating the depression. So a family therapy model tries to take the alternative approach to say, let's get families in the room, let's find out if there's family stress, family conflict that might be contributing to depression, and even more so, we know there's a lot of great parents out there who are very committed to their kids, strong families, and still there's depression in kids. And depression can be very destabilizing for families. So even the best families, when faced with a depressed adolescence, find themselves under stress, parents are arguing more, there's more sibling conflict, so that the depression itself can have a negative impact on the family. And we bring those families in also to try to help them recalibrate and find a better approach to dealing with the adolescent.
1: In your paper, you compare it to what you call enhanced usual care, EUC. So for our audience, could you tell us what form that is and what your results were when you compare these two modalities?
0: So I should step back a sec and say, you know, in the research world, treatment research, the interventions that have been most explored for Adolescent depression, there's actually very little research on adolescent suicide. It has been medication and cognitive behavioral therapy. There's been a very strong history of results that cognitive therapy is effective with this population. There's been recent studies to suggest medication is successful. But the most consistent message is that the combination of those two treatments, is better than either one alone. So a combination of psychotherapy and medication is better than cognitive behavioral therapy by itself. Out in the world, it's unclear how often those treatments are being used. And so when you talk about community intervention or treatment as usual out in the community, there's a little less clarity on what's really being provided. Certainly medication is one of the most common and probably, in in my opinion, overly used interventions for these kids. It's too often used, too quickly, and again, not coupled with psychotherapy that would help potentiate its benefits. So there's probably a, a range of things that are provided in the community, and we use that as our control group. What we wanted to see is if a kid came to the hospital and got sent to a variety of community sources, outpatient community mental health, private practice, you know, sort of services that are typically offered in the community. Usually it's individual therapy of some sort, supportive psychotherapy. Maybe it's cognitive therapy. Maybe there's some family involvement, but it's not systematic and organized sometimes, and there's medication or not being used. So we use that. We wanted to see... Could our treatment work as well as treatment as is typically practiced in the real world?
1: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, a channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard. Our guest is Dr. Guy Diamond, Director of the Center for Family Intervention Science at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and the Associate Professor of Psychology at Penn Medicine. We're discussing the promise of family-based therapy for treating adolescent depression. I know, in, as you described, your treatment was free, offered flexible scheduling, and no waiting. Now That's all very nice, but is that really the real world?
0: This was an efficacy study funded by the CDC. You know, it really wasn't a comparable effectiveness study, meaning take ABFT out into the world I and see. see if it works as well as what's being done out there. That's a future study that we want to do, but this is a relatively new intervention and our initial goal is to just test it and show that it's valid and works under the best conditions. And then the the next step of that would be to say, okay, now let's train the community to do it where there's waiting lists and high insurance problems and see if even under those conditions an intervention like this works well.
1: I see, because it did when I read about it, it sounded like an idyllic, way of treating people, and that usually isn't what happens.
0: You know, once treatments are usually tested, it's usually in the research environment. I see. So even medication studies have been done in the lab, you know, with highly trained people and, you know, under the best conditions, and that's the way science sort of progresses in treatment research, where we test an intervention whether it's medication or psychotherapy under the best of conditions to make sure the ingredients are doing something and now there's a strong interest at NIH to move treatments out of the research environment and into real-world environments and see if they can be as effective in that context and that research is really gaining some speed there's a lot more challenges I think than anybody anticipated of uh, training and disseminating empirically supported treatments into community settings, but that's definitely a strong interest. It just wasn't the focus of
1: our study. Yeah, because I saw that the commitment of the patients to this program was very high, and my experience in my office was often uh, that patients were lost to follow-up in this particular context.
0: Yeah, Well, I think there's a variety of things to say there. I mean, I think some of the environment made it easier for patients to come in, but I think there's something about a family intervention approach and something about our approach that was particularly, we like to think anyway, particularly engaging for families. One thing we know is that adolescents are never interested in going to therapy. So if you are sending kids to a therapy where they're seen by themselves, the likelihood of them dropping out is much higher. Our experience is that when parents are engaged, when parents feel this is being helpful, when some of their needs are being addressed, they're much more likely to bring their child into the therapy. So when the family has a stronger relationship with the mental health provider, We know from research that the retention rates tend to be higher.
1: I'm struck also by the fact that adolescents often reveal themselves on a computer rather than face-to-face interviewing. This is new to me. I grew up without computers. And for me, I would be much more likely to reveal myself talking eyeball-to-eyeball to to somebody than sitting in front of a laptop.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can say, you know, we have another line of research going on, and maybe this is what you're alluding to, that's computer-based screening for depression, suicide, and other behavioral health problems. We're very involved with trying to increase the collaboration between mental health and primary care, and our screening tool is one method that we've developed to improve the identification rates of mental health problems in a primary medical care office. We happen to have developed a large interest in this now. It's building steam in every quarter. We've developed a computer-based screening tool. Kids do it at the time of the interview. They either at a kiosk in the waiting room or in the exam room. They sit down in front of the screen. It's being construct, I mean, clinics use it as just part of a normal practice, usually done at a well visit, unless there's particular concerns, they can use it anytime they want. Kid fills out a number of questions, the computer program scores the program and generates a report in real time, so before the doctor goes in to see the patient, they basically have a a full psychosocial assessment of this kid's status and can use that to facilitate the interview. And What we do find, and a number of studies find, is that actually kids, one, they like having a doctor ask them these questions. The medical primary care environment has much less stigma than a mental health environment. Kids feel more comfortable. They've often known these doctors for a long time. They feel comfortable. So they're more willing to reveal these things, and most studies suggest kids would rather answer these questions initially on a computer feel there's a little more confidentiality feel it's a little more private they don't have to look somebody in the face and say embarrassing things so it actually has been a very effective modality certainly is indicative of the generation growing up today where computers are just a natural part of their life and uh, you know there's a lot of personal content that goes on you know with that technology so i think for Kid that's actually more congruent with who they are, whereas an older generation might be a little more uncomfortable with it.
1: Well, you know, today we've been talking about the third leading cause of death among adolescents, and we have to remember that the first two are homicide and auto accidents. So this is really a problem that has surfaced is affecting more and more people to say nothing of the tremendous expenses and resources and the tremendous havoc it causes in family dynamics. This is really a new approach and hopefully it'll move from the research lab from Dr. Diamond's research out into the office and we'll begin to see encouraging results. I want to thank Dr. Diamond for speaking with us today.
0: Great. I'm glad to be here and happy to share our work.
1: I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, a channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. And as always, thank you for listening.
0: You've been listening to
1: Focus on Children's Health on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals.